My name is Adam Venable, and I'm the RUF campus minister at UAB. That's our denomination's campus ministry, and uh, they gave me permission this morning to pick whatever passage I want to preach from. And uh, at UAB, where I do college ministry, we are working through the Gospel of John. And so we're going to look at John 12 this morning. But before we do... One thing I thought of as I got ready for this passage this week was the idea that God loves everybody. Uh, Most of us have thought about that at some point. God loves everyone. God's for all people, loves everyone. There was a time when I didn't believe in Jesus. And though there was a time I didn't believe in Jesus, I always loved the idea that God loved everybody. Uh, especially in high school, I, I remember thinking about this when, before I was a Christian. And I, that just got me excited. And the, the, the idea that God's love and he loves everyone and kind of this Olaf voice and everything's great, everything's going to be fine. Love that idea. There was also something very uh, cynical in me that thought, I like that idea, but that's not really true. I, man, I'd like for that to be true. I'm not even sure that's true of me. Not sure it's true for the world either. And we do this, don't we? Humanity longs for all people everywhere to be loved by God. Yet we're very suspicious and cynical of this idea. And you see it even in the way businesses promote themselves. Uh, Businesses now have these grandiose, over-the-top mission statements that apply to the whole world. Facebook uh, has a well-known one. I wrote it down. Facebook's mission statement... To bring the whole world closer together. That's ambitious. And on the one hand, yes, you go do that. Bring the whole world together. And on the other hand, can they really do that? Are they going to do a good job of that? I don't know if I trust them to do that. And the message of the gospel is something so transformative and so different from, from that message. And it's basically this. That the bad news of the gospel is so bad that no company can bring the world together. And the bad news of the gospel is so bad that it applies to everyone, and you can't save yourself. But the good news of the gospel is so good that it can save anyone all over the world. It's bigger than famine. It's bigger than conflict zones. It's bigger than uh, you know, marital conflict. It's bigger than abuse in your past. The gospel is so good, it can save anyone. That's what this passage is all about. Uh, Again, we're in the Gospel of John, and if you'll look with me, this is John 12, 27 to 36. John 12, 27 to 36. And it says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. 
How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while, a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not understand where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said this, he departed and hid himself from them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make the words of my mouth now and the meditations of all of our hearts together centered around your beauty and your glory, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would do that for the glory of your name and for our good. Amen. So we're in John 12 this morning, and I want to look at three things about all people. Three things about all people. The story of all people, and the fight of all people, and the drawing of all people. The story, the fight, and the drawing. Something that's been talked about in the last 10, 20 years is the importance, if you are a company, to have a story. This didn't used to be the case, but if you're going to do a startup company, it's important for you to have a story about why you want to do this, and uh, the founders of the company, what's in your past that's given you a passion to start this company. And this is uh, also true of the Bible, that there is a story of all people that's crucial to get. And you see the story of all people here, um, especially where he starts talking about the ruler of this world. Who is the ruler of this world that we live in right now? And what the Bible says is that if you go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis, the man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and they were tempted by a spiritual being. And that spiritual being was an evil spiritual being. And because Adam and Eve sinned and the whole world fell, that evil spiritual being was, was then given power allowed to rule this world, the Bible says. And God's grace was still active in the world, but this evil being was allowed to rule the whole world. And that meant that the story of all people began badly. The story of all people, though, the letter A was creation, everything good. The letter B was fall, and the story of all people began with with a ruler of this world, enslaving all people. And this enslavement was slavery, but it was also a willing slavery. In other words, humanity, all people everywhere, they weren't just forced into slavery to this evil spiritual being, but they did it willingly. Later on, John says that Jesus has come that you might become a son of light. Jesus had to come to make us sons of light because of the opposite of that is what we were. Under this ruler of this world, sons of darkness. And it's super important to get the context of this passage. What's the first rule in real estate? Location, location, location. Same is true of Bible interpretation. It's context, context, context to, to get what this means. And for those of you who have a Bible open, you can't see it in this passage, but if you slipped up just a few verses, there's a feast going on. And this conversation that Jesus is having takes place right before a feast. Remember, Jesus was Jewish, 
And so this is a very Jewish context, and there were several feasts during the year. And the feast that surrounds this passage is the feast of what? The feast of Passover. What's the feast of Passover? Well, it was a celebration, a feast commemorating when the angel of the Lord brought judgment onto Egypt and passed over the people of Israel because of the blood of the lamb that had been put on the doorpost. Who was Israel without the Passover? They were slaves in Egypt. No Passover, no redemption. No exodus, slavery in Egypt. And this became a picture not just of the condition of Israel, but for the whole world. What would all people be without God's grace? Slaves in Egypt. And then Israel went into exile, and their exile, they were kicked out of their own land, and that became a further image of, what would all people be? What's the story of all people without God's grace? It's a story of being under the evil one, being a son of darkness, slavery in Egypt, in exile. And this is so important, I think, for us to grasp why we've grown cynical with progressivism, right? People way, way smarter than I am who don't say things like way, way. They use better English than that. They agree that we've, we've come to a time in our culture where for a long time people said, look, if people get enough education and they have enough money and they, and they have the right job and get them the right resources, we're going to change the world and everything's going to be great. We don't believe that anymore, do we? Um, and because we don't, we're, hunk- we're, we're hunkering down and we're forming tribes. You see this all over the world. People uh, becoming part of a particular tribe. I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm not with them, I'm with these folks. And we're going to figure it out. We're not going to change the world or anything, but we'll win, our team will win. The story of all people is that we are one. We're united. This is, this is the, uh, the bad news of the gospel, is that we're one under this, this wicked ruler, this spiritual evil one. And that gives us solidarity with everybody in the whole world. And it should break apart the tribes that we're trying to build. Because there's no tribe that you can join that part of their story isn't, without God's grace, you're still a son of darkness. And without God's grace, you're just like Israel in Egypt, a slave. And there's no plan, there's no political figure that's going to rescue you from that. Only God's grace can. This should make us humble. We are the story of all people. Without God's grace, that's where we would be. I started playing piano this year in January Never really played piano ever. But since January, I have played piano almost every day. And I, I love it so much, I feel like I'm 15 again, and I've, uh, I'm learning guitar for the first time, which is just, it's just an amazing experience. But already, I kind of look around at other piano players like, you know, you and me, uh, we, we've got, I'm a piano player, you're a piano player. You want to talk piano a little bit? And already I've started to feel like, because I've been playing piano my whole life, right? I mean, I started taking lessons when I was six. Uh, I did recitals. I was in a band in high school. I played piano. None of that's true. 
None of it's true. And Christianity can be the same thing. If you have been a Christian for more than five minutes, you know the temptation to feel like, I mean, this is just how I've always been. Of course I'm a Christian. What else would I be? Uh, I was baptized. My parents read the Christian books to me. And, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I've always been a Christian. I can't imagine really not being. And that's just kind of who I am. It's just in my bones. I'm a Christian. That's not the story of us. It's not the story of all people. And we're a part of the all people. Without God's grace, we would be just like Israel, slaves in Egypt. Story of all people. What about the fight of all people? And I can remember my mother. I don't the the lessons that your parents teach you when you're small. Uh, the things you remember sometimes are just strange. I remember my mother explaining to me, as if this was going to happen all the time. Adam, if you are ever at the at the at the beach or at the pool, someone is drowning. Uh, you make sure you grab them by their hair. I don't know if this is the right thing to do or not. This is just what my mother told me. You grab them by their hair or you get them in a chokehold and you pull them like that from behind. Because if you try and come in front of them to help them, they're drowning. But if you try to help them from the front, they will drown you. So be careful. This is, I've never encountered this. This has never happened. Uh, someone can tell me if this is actually good advice later. However, this points to something very biblical which is this. When God comes to speak to us, we fight back. When he comes to save us, when he comes to rescue us, we don't just accept his advice and go, yes, thank you for uh, trying to save me. That's exactly what I need. I'll take it. We fight back, don't we? And you see this here in the way that the crowds respond to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus, Son of God, Uh, The Word made flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. This is who Jesus is. He's come into the world to save the world, but his own do not know him, it says in John 1. And you see that here because when God speaks, what do the crowds say? It must be thunder. That's not the voice of God. It's probably just the thunder. Or, uh, you know, maybe it's the angels. Maybe the angels are talking to us. It can't be the thunder. And then later on, the crowd say, look, uh, the Son of Man can't be lifted up and crucified. That can't be right. The Son of Man's going to stay on earth. He's going to stay here and give us this uh, amazing kingdom. He's not going to be lifted up and crucified. God has come to them and said, I've got life for you. You're like a slave in Egypt, and I have freedom for you. And they don't want it. They don't recognize his voice. They don't see it. And... As one well-known author points out, you know, the, the line between good and evil, it's not between us and them, the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. Is this just a Jewish problem in the first century? That when God comes to them, they don't want his help? No, this is a human problem. It's a problem that we all have. Um, think of the secular version of this. The secular version of salvation says something like, You know, you used to be good, and you were pure, and you were whole, and then you experienced trauma in your life. You went through some trauma, and it damaged you. You're hurt very badly. 
And so what you need to do is just to recenter yourself, to get back to who you once were before the trauma. If you could just go back to that pure version of yourself, go camping. I'm I'm, I'm for camping. I'm I'm not against camping. Uh, But this is what we say. Let's go to the beach. I'm going to recenter myself, try to get back to who I once was before the trauma, and then maybe I can be saved. God comes to us and he says, I want to rescue you. I want to rescue you and give you freedom. And we say, I just want to listen to this voice within myself. I I, I just want to become a, a more pure version of myself. Thanks, God. No thanks. What about the religious version of this? It's something like this. I want to be a good boy. Or I want to be a good girl. And I want to go to Sunday school. And I want to go to church. And I might even teach Sunday school. And I'm going to read the Bible with my children, and I'm going to teach them all the things that they need to learn. And I don't want anything to do with a real relationship with God or Jesus Christ. There are things in my heart, there are rooms in the house of my heart, God, you are not allowed to go in. Because I belong to myself. I'm going to do the religious thing. But God, you stay away from my real heart and mind. And God comes to us and says, I want to make you a son of light. And we say, no thank you. And we fight against God. So what? Um, Oh, that we would learn to recognize that voice when it comes. What does God long for us? He longs for us to hear that voice that says, you know, salvation, it's inside you. You don't really need God. You need yourself. You need to work on yourself, look within yourself. That we would hear that voice for what it is, the voice of the ruler of this world that the Lord Jesus has come to judge and to bring judgment upon. Or that voice that says, You know, I guess I could um, have a real relationship with God um, and start to have a real relationship with his body, members in the body of Christ. I'm pretty contentious faking it. Uh, Thank you, but that we would hear that voice for what it is. That's a miserable life. That is a miserable way to live. Finally, the drawing. Um, The drawing of all people. I was talking to one of you a couple of weeks ago about a book that I picked up by David Sedaris. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And in the book, he's he's very funny. And he's talking about, he's noticed as he gets older that people tend to go a little bit kooky in one of two ways. His friends as they get older. And it's either pet kooky or diet kooky. And they either just are obsessing about pets. And uh, you, you ask them how many children they have. And they say five, and they list their pets, and they mention that, you know, they're all rescues. I got them from the rescue mission. Or it's their diet. They're hoping to, uh, you know, find Shangri-La. And uh, he talks about a friend of his, the nickname of his friend was Rooster. This is the nickname of his friend. But he's got into this diet craze where he juices everything. And he's like 46, but his diet now resembles like a nine-month-old baby. 
And uh, they call him the Juicer now. This is his, uh, his new nickname. What does this say about humanity? I think maybe especially as, as you grow older and your resources, uh, maybe your emotional and energetic resources become more and more limited, we focus on the thing that we are drawn to. We were built to be drawn to something, to be dedicated and devoted to it. This is a very biblical idea. When God saves you, can you resist his grace? If God wants to save you and rescue you, can you resist ultimately? No, you cannot. And I don't have time to prove it completely. Come talk to me afterwards, and I'd love to talk to you about that. Does God force you into his kingdom? Does he force you to come? Does he make you come? Does he drag you into his kingdom? No, he does not. Yeah, but you just said I can't resist. I know. Because God is not like us. God is so amazing, and he's so wonderful, and he's so glorious, that he is able to draw you into his kingdom in a way that your will and your person becomes more alive, not less. And the more he draws you, the more enlivened you are, and the more yourself you become, and you cannot resist it. You can't resist Why not? This goes back to the context. What's the feast that's being celebrated during this conversation? Passover. What happens at Passover one more time? The blood is put over the doorpost, and the angel of the Lord passes over Israel so that they can be delivered out into freedom. And this is what Jesus says. When I am Ascended into heaven, I'll draw all people to myself. No, he doesn't say that. When I am worshipped by all people, then I'm going to draw all people to myself. He says, when I am lifted up. And then John makes this comment. And he was talking about the way he would die. Jesus, our greater Passover lamb, is the way that God draws us to himself. Because... As Jesus has lifted up on the cross, it is God's revelation. This is what your salvation cost. It cost God everything. Everything he had. He gave it all. But he did it willingly. Why? Because he loves us, but also because he loves the glory of his name. Even as Jesus, it says, how does it start out in the passage? It says, my soul is troubled. Another way to say that is my soul um, was terrified. It's not troubled like, you know, the weather troubles me today. He was terrified about the fact that he he was about to have to go die. And he was disgusted by the sin that he was going to have to take on to himself in order to save us. But God did it all because he loves you. And even as Jesus was headed there, he prayed, Father, glorify your name My soul is troubled, but I love your glory more. What's the good news for you? Um, If you're here today, especially if you're here and you became a Christian, um, it seemed, at, at some point in your life, but you've come to a point in your life today, though you made a profession of faith, that you are walking in the darkness or at least dabbling in the darkness. This is what I would say to you. 
Don't walk in the darkness. Because you are not a child of darkness. You are a son of light. What does that mean? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And it means the light of the forgiveness of your sins has shone into your heart. And he loved you enough to give his only son for you. Don't walk in the darkness. That's not who you are. You're a son of light. The other thing I would say is, especially if you're here and you are not a Christian, you don't believe in Jesus, um, you're here this morning and this kind of sounds interesting, this is what I would say to you. Sometimes Christianity just sounds something like this. Um, You know, we Christians, we believe that our sins are forgiven and then um, we get to go to heaven when we die and that's great and I get to teach Sunday school and... um, All my friends are great, and don't you want to be a Christian too? It's better than that. And you see it especially in the thing that Jesus calls himself. What does Jesus call himself? A son of man. Who is the son of man? It's an image from Daniel chapter 7. He's the Lord of glory who's been given dominion and power and rule over all people. And when you come to God, and when you begin a real relationship with God in Jesus Christ, you begin a relationship with the Lord of glory. The Lord who made all people and all creation. And when you meet him, you meet the fountain of life. Why, is, why are the Rocky Mountains so glorious? Because there is a God who is so much more glorious that made them and they reflect his glory. Um, Why is the beach so amazing? Watching the waves roll in. It's because there is a glory behind them. The glory of the God that made those waves. And when you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, that's the Lord of glory that you begin a relationship with. Finally, if you're here this morning and you're just tired, you're exhausted, and um, I'm thinking especially of mothers of small children um, this morning, because my wife um, is home with our three children because they're all sick. Man, that's, that, that, that's, that's exhausting. Um, what about you? Because when you're tired... And you're just not sure if, if, if you've even been drawn to God. You think, you know, I, I used to feel it. I used to feel close to God. And I'm so tired, I just don't anymore. I, I can't remember the last time that I, I read my Bible. Um, I, I can go days and, and not pray. What about you? And this is what I would say to you. A couple of days ago... I was in our sunroom and I was sitting in a chair and our, our three children came in and one by one, they just kind of all walked up to me. I'm sitting in the chair and they all kind of walk up and each go like that, which is the universal sign, uh, please take me into your lap, daddy, which I gladly did. And I was sitting there thinking that this is how I want to feel with God. But I don't. 
And I imagine there's at least one of you out there uh, that feels the same way. Jesus, he, he cried out to God as his father, and he knew that this God is my father, and I'm confident that he's my father. How can you be confident that your heavenly father has drawn you up into his lap, and that he loves you, and that he's with you? And the way that you can be confident is by looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him. Look to him who was lifted up for you. He was lifted up for you in order that he might lift your head. You are discouraged. This morning, if your head is down, that's okay. Because Jesus has promised to lift your head for you. Because he was lifted up for you. And he died for you. Let's pray that that would be real in our hearts. Real in our hearts this week. And even if you're praying this for the first time, um, I would just invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would make your Son's work for all people, even us, real to us, Lord Jesus. It doesn't feel real sometimes. And so we cry out to you, Lord, who are full of dominion and glory and a kingdom, who promised to sprinkle clean all nations. When our lights are weak, we pray that we would look to you, who are the light of the world. When we feel like you have let us go, we pray that we would help us to look to you, Lord Jesus, who've promised that you are the love that will never let us go. And you hold us uh, even as we sleep. And we pray this in your name. Amen.